This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. Thank you very much to Dr. Bob Stabler last week, but back this week is our vet, Dr. David Tabret. Hello. Oh, how are you going, Dave? Welcome back. Always yeah, great to have you. you back in the chair. Bob does a good job. He certainly does. Very good job, but you're back. I am today. And looking forward to answering any questions people want to ring in with. And Denny Boz, smiling face, is here. Hello, Denny. Good afternoon, Dave. Good week? Wonderful week, thank you. Wonderful week. And I've got an exciting interview that I'm very happy with today. Who will you have for us soon? Look, um, the lady's name is Deborah DeWills, and her Border Collie dog is named Maggie, and they're walking, or running, I should say, around Australia. Okay. So we'll be talking to her. The, we'll talk the, to her she's going around once. The Border Collie's doing it three times. <laughs> they're pretty uh, yeah. stressed. They're pretty hyped active. up dogs, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk to her soon. Plus, we will have a topic of the day. What topic will we look at today? Um, we're going to talk about uh, what... Are, we talked previously about pain, recognising pain in your dog and cat, but what if you've got a pet bird? Yes, that mm. would be good. We'll find out about that. Pet chat this afternoon. Danny, we have a special guest. We do, David. And on the line, we've got Deborah DeWilliams, who is the human in this partnership, and Maggie the Border Collie. And they are running around Australia for a cure, for a ra- really good cause, which is for breast cancer awareness. Deborah, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, and good afternoon. Hi. I can hear that you are well and truly on the road. I bet. Oh, I love it. Listen, when did you start this or this this ordeal? We started our second attempt. Um, I started the first one in October 2008, and I got all the way up the east coast into a place called Elliot. And then Peggy got a little bit sick of running. I decided, and she sabotaged me and tripped me over, and I actually broke both my feet. Yes. Um, and I ran 800 kilometres to Darwin. Peggy was very, very sorry that she had done that. And, we had a very long conversation. She said, okay, Mum, let's start again. So we started again on the 27th of March um, last year, and we headed west. So when we got to Darwin, we became the first female and the first dog to run the entire distance around the country. Of course, one continuous. And then we headed, we kept running, and we're heading our way home now to Hobart, where we became the first female and the first dog to run continuously around Australia. How fantastic. Now tell me, what was the inspiration to do this a record run? Well, I actually walked, I'm a glutton for punishment. I walked around Australia in 03, I saw becoming the first woman to do that. Yep. And it was a pretty long journey, and I said I'd never do that again. <laughs> but I got diagnosed in March 2006 with breast cancer, and I wanted to do what I do best for the long distance solo running and walking to help raise awareness and funds for the National Breast Cancer Foundation. Oh, that's fantastic support there, fantastic news in regards to that. Now, by the time you finish your run, how many kilometres will you have, you and Maggie have, have uh, gone through? Well, between the first attempts, um, I would have run around about 28,000 kilometres between the one and a half laps around Australia. Of course, Maggie's a bit slacker than I am. <laughs> she, she's probably, I think, on half that, if not 
I caught her up there in the heat. She tends to run about 5, 10 to 15 k's, then gets into the air conditioner luxury of the car and barks orders at me for the rest of the day. Oh, I'd be careful what you say. She might trip you up again. <laughs> <laughs> no, we had a long talk about that. <laughs> oh, that's a really good story. So even though she she can run heaps of kilometres, she still likes the, the comfort of the air-conditioned sedan, doesn't she? Oh, yeah, she's a Tasmanian border collie. So get up north, it was a way bit too hot. And she also doesn't like getting soggy, and we went through the Queensland flooding. And, you know, she doesn't like a coat wet. She's a, she's a pure princess, likes all the attention. So most of the time, as she does, she gets a little run in. Then she jumps out to meet people and is the star of the show. And I arrived sweaty and disgusting and she arrived all pampered. <laughs> now, I, I hear that her official title is Director of Greeting, D-O-G. Yeah, uh, that's it. How does, how does she go in that, in that role? Well, it's just, the role suits her perfectly. As I said, we arrived into communities like yesterday. We arrived into Newcastle. Um, people, naturally, she sits in the middle and people put a circle around her and she just goes from one person to the other, getting lots of love and attention. Oh, wonderful news. Look, that all sounds great. And um, I really appreciate you taking the time to stop and have this interview with us um, on air. If people would like to know more about your work, www.runningpink.com.au is the website. Please go and have a look. And they can, we can all keep updated as to where you are from that website and where you will be going. Um, and also donate. You can donate on the website. Can you tell us where other places that people can donate? Well, thank you very, very much for that, uh, Deborah, and all the best. And I uh, hope you have a, a really big homecoming when you reach Hobart. Thank you. Oh, that is fantastic. What a big effort, too. Oh, it is. 28,000 kilometres by the time she's finished. It'll be one and a half times around Australia because she had to stop her first trip because of the... Of it's amazing, the, isn't it? Yeah, the, the injury that she had. Running around Tasmania would be enough for me. <laughs> yeah, big effort. And yeah. well done to him for a great cause. And, too, a great the, cause and a good choice of dog to do it with. I mean, her, her pet, oh, uh, yeah. Maggie the Border you Collie. You can't wear them out. No. You can't well, wear them out. No, because she, she could do an travel encore lap. Travels in the car three do quarters an of the time. Would you like to talk to someone? Would I? Yeah, yeah sure. What about Sue from Mannering Park? Hello, Sue. How are you doing? I'm doing real well, Dave. How are you? What would you like to talk to De uh, to David Tabbert about? Okay, I have um, a rat here. Um, I'm Sue from Ferret Rescue down on the coast. Hello, Sue. Now we know who you are. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm also so I seem to be now taking rescue rats. Right. Now, I have one female, she's two and a half, mm -hmm. and she's chewing herself. She's got little tiny sores on her side. I've checked her for fleas. I can't see anything on her. Yes. Can you suggest anything I can use on her to maybe stop the itch, or do you think she will need to see a vet? Well, we often, we often see uh, mites in rats as well, and looking for fleas is always a... 
a curious thing. Of course, the history of um, the flea rat was that it was one of the uh, propagators of the Black Plague back in the Middle Ages or the Dark Ages. So um, always a curiosity about fleas on rats. But uh, what we know is that we do see mites as well. Right. And uh, in those cases, it's an off-label usage, but um, and carefully, you have to get the dose right. Uh, there's a compound called ivermectin, which can sometimes be applied. Yeah, I use that on the ferrets. Yep, that's right. So we use it in a similar fashion with regards to, because it's a very good um, insecticide and, and uh, parasiticide, so it works quite effectively against a whole range of different um, parasites. And so mites would be the other one I would be worried about. The other problem we sometimes see is with uh, stress and um, social situations, so it becomes a behavioural problem. If there's evidence that the rat is pulling or chewing or damaging the hair um, and pulling it out, um, which might be related to stress, then sometimes a change of environment might be the, the treatment that's needed. But I would certainly go for um, ivermectin treatment. Uh, right, what sort of dosage would you recommend? Um, well, you'll probably have to speak to your vet about this because okay. it comes in different forms. And uh, in the old days, we used to use like either the horse product or the cattle product. And I'm getting out of into um, because it's an off-label usage. Right. Um, means it, meaning it's not registered. Now, having said that, there are no drugs registered for rats anyway. Uh, so what, everything we do for them is off-label. But uh, because there's all these different forms, they have different concentrations. And right. also the injectable is different to the oral, is different to the topical. So what you'd need, ah. to, what you'd need to know is how, the weight, body weight yep. of, of the rat, and then you should be able to get a dose if you contact your vet about what um, particular product you've got or they might be able to supply for that size. Right, because she's in a massive cage and, you know, I change it around every few days so, you know, she's kept amused. But yep. in a large pen beside her, I have three male rats. Could they be making her anxious even though they're sort of not? Yes, yes. And, and very often the um, female rats uh, will actually um, come into heat, you know, in <laughs> cycle when you put a male rat into the same environment. Uh, oh, and if that, and this actually happens if you have a group of female rats, it'll actually synchronise their heat cycle if you immediately put a male rat into the environment. And then this is called the Bruce effect. I don't know what else Bruce had after his <laughs> name, but he had this ability to induce this in the female rats. Um, I but might it, put her in a different room. Then. But it, yes, it might be something, and it would also cause some degree of stress with the male rats because they would become between them. They would become, uh, uh, if she does cycle and they sense that, then they might become aggressive towards each other. Oh, I haven't seen any of that. They're actually, um, they're really well behaved rats. Oh, good. They're good. actually darlings, but um, but yeah. we're sort of ventured into rat rescue, and I've never come across <laughs> one with these sort of. Yeah, if if Choose. if we're worried that it is mites, also that I think it needs to be that you treat all of the rats that you've got. Right. Okay. No worries. Okay. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your help. No worries. Thank you, Sue. Always thanks good to hear from you. Fantastic. Sue from Mannering Park joining us at Two and URFM. It's pet chat this afternoon. Now, David, when she says rat, it's not the gutter rat, is it? Is this a well pet rat? Yeah, the the brown rat. Um, 
there's di- there are different species, obviously, but they all pretty much stem from the brown rat, mm. um, ratus, ratus. Seriously, ratus, ratus. There are there are ver- there are some species variation. Like we can get different species, but uh, the common brown rat is um, then given rise to uh, different species, and obviously the laboratory bred rats give us the different colour variations and then there's backbreeding. So this, uh, the thing about rats and all of these small mammals is that it's very easy to generate a large genetic pool. So you get different colours and mm. so on because they breed so quickly uh, you know, and so prodigiously that we've got large numbers. You know, It's not like we're breeding elephants and trying to look for different colours. We, we can end up with... Mm. Uh, quite a variation but yeah they all pretty much stem back to the rats that arrived on the first fleet mm, okay then well there we go hey would you like to give us a call our number is 49216216 for pet chat we've got a free line waiting there right now if you'd like to get through and talk to our vet dr david tabbert or denny boz 49216216 at 2nurfm listening to kate from vasey hello kate good afternoon how are you hi kate good what can we do for you we have a hand red lorikeet who bites us Right. Uh, he's two and a half years of age, and we're trying to identify triggers, and we can identify that the kitchen has become part of his territory, um, but without provocation, he just bites one of us. So where does he bite we're you? we're wondering if we can train him to stop yeah. doing it. Which... Um, when I was ironing, he came up and bit me on the face, uh-huh. um, on the lip and on the nose. Nasty. Um, mm. He bites you on the hand. Um, he basically bites anywhere he can when he's in that mode. I think it's really it's really good that you've identified that there might be triggers involved and that's an environmental thing or territorial, and this is very often the case. Lorikeets, um, obviously, they've got, you know, what do they have? They have their beak, wings, and claws, and so their beak becomes their weapon of choice. Mm. And uh, as you've experienced, they can inflict some pretty nasty injuries. Um, the similar principles apply to what we might do with a dog that's misbehaving in a similar circumstance. So part of there are a couple of things, and I'm just going to talk about one or two, but there's a, a whole spectrum of activities or behavioural changes that you can induce. And part of it is things that you can do, and part of it is things that you can do in the environment when you're interacting. Uh, one of the things about birds, particularly these Australian native birds that are in the house, is that the... Uh, position that they feel like they're in the flock and you're part of the flock is often um, uh, constructed from how high they might sit. For instance, if they're sitting on your shoulder, that pretty much conveys a sense of dominance. And uh, the worst case I've seen is when the bird comes in and it's sitting on someone on the top of someone's head. Um, so, but, and I've even had people where the bird has pooped on their head and done all sorts of things and they just wipe it off and go, oh, he's funny like that. But really, that's the bird saying, look, I'm the boss of this and if you get in my way, I'll nip you. So right. what we try and do is to get the bird to sit at a lower level, which mm-hmm. means if they're, for instance, on your hand, that you um, hold them in front of you below you know, your chest level so that they're never raised up to closer to your face from a safety point of view, but also from the message that it's sending that you're equal or above me. Certainly don't let them on your shoulders or on your head. Now, if these are habits that are ingrained, they often become pretty hard to break and birds, uh, as you you would have experienced, they're quite intelligent 
And so they will resist a change in these behaviours, but you must persist with it. Now, right. the, if you have a difficulty picking up your bird and uh, he tends to bite, then we have to reverse that behaviour to where he wants to be picked up and he's going to be well-behaved. Now, the trick there is food. So you have to limit the food that he's got in his cage to, to morning and night, um, and they can have chewables during the day like bark and flowers and things like that, but no seed or no um, lorry dry or anything during the day. And so that then you can approach him in the cage with some food in your hand. And the way I used to do it with uh, lorikeets is you put grapes and maybe peel the top of a grape. And if you hold your hand in a, in a lightly closed fist and have the grape sitting in the top, show the grape to the bird and let it have a little lick and then just roll your hand over so that eventually he has to stand on your hand to eat the grape. Okay. Okay. What you're doing then is you're getting him to realise that the hand is friendly and that uh, if he does go to bite you, you withdraw and you're withdrawing the food and so he'll start to realise that, hey, biting the hand that feeds me, so to speak, not the right thing to do. All right. So there's a couple of things you have to do is make changes in his cage. Now, he has a cage? He does. Okay. But he has free reign of the house as well? He does. And is his wings clipped? No. You need to get his wings clipped properly so that he can't fly away and fly to the highest point where you can't get him. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where we clip both side, both wings rather than just one. And um, the technique is quite particular. It's sort of hard to describe on the radio. So it's best to talk to someone, a veterinarian or a pet shop that's experienced with birds so that they can show you how to do it properly. If you tackle those few things for starters, keeping him low and rolling a hand over with the food in it, he'll gradually start to realise that a change in behaviour is needed and hopefully the biting will will reduce. And if you get his wings clipped, that will also limit his feeling that he can just go wherever he wants, whenever he wants, and he's the boss of the house. Thank you for that. All right. We'll try all of that. Give that a go. Give us a call back in a couple of weeks and let us know how you get on. Thank you for okay. your time. Good on you. Enjoy Thanks, Kate. Show. We've now got from Fishing Point, Lynn. Good morning. Oh, good afternoon, Lynn. Hello. Hi, Lynn. How, how are you? I'm good, thanks. So what can we do for you today? Um, I have a cat who's uh, almost 16, and he was diagnosed in December with kidney disease. Right. Um Now, he's, he's eating quite well, and he's okay, but... Um, he has done this before, even before he was ill, but he starts licking his fur, and he licks and licks and licks until it's a bald patch. Oh, and, yep, yep. And is, is that like a stress thing or something, is it? Or I'm just wondering whether there's anything I can do to stop him doing it. Yeah, which part? Where is he licking at? Well, actually, um, when I first took him in, he was diagnosed in December, it was sort of on his rump, you know, like the top of his leg at the back there. Now, the, the, the vet gave him a, a shot of steroids, and yep. he said, oh, that should stop him doing that, and it, it, it did stop him, and the fur's almost grown back. I'm assuming it's taking a while because he's not 100% well, but yes. now he's, that's sort of growing back, but now he's starting to do it on the inside of his front legs just above his paws, okay. he's licking both sides, and they're always wet, so I can tell he's doing it all the time, he's doing the same thing. Yeah. There's a couple of reasons that we see this happen, and it's not uncommon in older cats. The first reason that I've seen this happen is associated with pain, usually from arthritis. So oh. they can often do this behaviour where they lick and lick, because it does actually make them feel a bit better when the skin is licked um, and pressure put on it, it releases. There's a, 
a substance, a chemical in the skin that's released called substance P, which oh, okay. uh, acts on nerve endings to be a, like a local anaesthetic. That's why if you cut your mm. thumb, you know, if you cut your finger or thumb and you suck on it, it actually starts to ease the pain. Oh yeah, yeah, as well. Yeah. Mm. So the the first thing I'd be wondering about is arthritis, and very oh, often okay. I, I, I try. Yep. I, I keep an eye on him when he's moving to make sure he's moving right. And he still climbs trees and gets around. He doesn't seem to have problems with his joints that I can see. Good. Okay. Yeah. So hopefully not that, but um, mm. it'd still be worth getting him checked out because sometimes some of the smaller joints might be involved. Mm. Um, the other thing that we see could be behavioural related to boredom and it's just something for him to do and keep himself occupied. Okay. But, uh, the third reason, um, and sort of maybe third and fourth tied in together, uh, the third reason is associated with kidney disease. Sometimes these cats get an accumulation of toxins in their blood and it can, mm-hmm. it can change their brain function. And so yeah. this is a thing called uremic encephalopathy. Um, they can get it associated with liver disease because the liver, mm-hmm. and, liver and the kidneys are the two main organs associated with filtering out and clearing the body of toxins. So mm-hmm. if the kidneys aren't working as well, these toxins can build up particularly the nitrogen waste products in the blood, and that can cause some changes in behaviour. Now, I said it ties in... I think in... I've noticed that. Yeah, it could, if he's it's been diagnosed with... He's starting to bite me a little bit. He's, he's such a wussy cat and such a placid cat, and, but as he's getting older, if he doesn't get his own waste, he, he starts biting. He's started to bite, and he's never done that before, and he can get a bit nasty with it, you know? Yes. Well, that's... And that's a, that... that is definitely a behaviour problem that he never had before. And that ties in with probably the last reason, which is that um, older cats get dementia. Okay. Okay, so yeah. they're normal patterns of behaviour. They'll have the way to recognise this is altered sleep patterns, altered feeding patterns, changes in behaviour with people in the house, like you've just said, and, mm. uh, you know, constant licking or sitting and um, just looking at the wall and not doing anything. So those things uh, I would check out for arthritis um, and maybe look at if there's other activities can keep him occupied during the day. But the last two, uh, in terms of kidney disease or just simply dementia, um, part of that can be helped with diet. And there are some medications that can be useful, but Mm. there's there's probably a limit to how much they can do. Yeah, well, I realise it's the beginning of the end. I'm sort of trying to prepare myself for that. And as it's been him and me for all that time, it's a bit hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, okay, well, so, okay. Well, I hold you up, but I've got one more question. My mum's canary. Sure. Um, she's, he's quite old. You know, she couldn't tell me how old he is, but she has had him a long time. He's one of those little mop-top ones, funny little things on the top of his head. But what's happening is underneath his feathers, and you can see them, not so much underneath as on top as well, it's like this lumpy-looking calcification sort of stuff going on. And um, apart from that, he's not unwell. He eats and does all the normal things, but she said it's, it's like sometimes she thinks it's like it's weighing him down. He has trouble jumping up on his perch. Wow. It's, it's, it's a tiny, he's a tiny little bird. Um, but um, he's got this, have you ever heard of that before? It's like the, the ends of the feathers, you know, that, that sort of... So where's, where, where's the lump occurring? Well, it's coming out, you can see it coming out from under his feathers. On, on all, on all of them? Oh, sort of, well, not over the whole body, but different places on the body on both sides. It's this sort of lumpy sort of... Okay. It looks, yeah, I don't know what else you'd call it. It looks like a sort of a calcification or something like that. Yeah. yeah, the the picture that you're painting for me does sound familiar. We do see sometimes they can get cysts um, in the uh, follicles. 
Yeah. And, and that can cause that sort of, um, you know, area of lumpiness associated with the base of the feathers. But there's something else in the back of my mind that uh, sounds familiar, and I just can't put my finger on it at the moment. I'll check into that for you. Um, mm. But, yeah, it can be associated with poor feather growth. And sometimes mm. sometimes we see those so problems is it with... like ingrown feathers, like we get ingrown toenails, is it that yeah, sort of thing? Yes, um, I guess that's a good analogy. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, there are dietary factors that can come into play there. But I'll I'll get some more info about that for you because um, that's something that I just got this thought in my head that I've seen that sort of problem before, and I'm just wondering if there's a viral cause or purely a nutritional cause. So we'll, well check. See, Mum's ill. Mum's ill. She's had him a long time. As far as she's concerned, I think as long as he still seems reasonably healthy, she does. She probably wouldn't take him to the vet. He's probably never been being a bird. Um, sure. But I just thought, well, I've been listening to your radio while I was driving along, and I sort of thought, well, maybe I should ask if you can tell me what it is, and maybe I can just pass it on to her. Well, tune in next week, and we'll have an answer for you. Right here, Lynn. <laughs> Good luck with that. Be listening next week. David will do a little research on that for us, and we'll find out some more details. Now, our number is 49216216 if you'd like to call through for Pet Chat. Well, it's now 13 to 1. Up until this point, there hasn't been a lot of events on for dog shows, and that has there because it's a quiet start to the year, but maybe they're starting to happen. That's right, David. Look, it is warmer during the summer months, but now as it gets a bit cooler, lots of different events, pet events, dog shows happening. Uh, People want to get out and see the animals while it is cooler out there. This weekend, the Society of Frogs and Reptiles, otherwise known as SOFAR, is holding their ninth annual Frog and Reptile Expo at the Newcastle Jockey Club in Darling Street, Broadmeadow. And it's on this Sunday the 13th, as I mentioned, from 9am to 4pm. So if you're out and about and want to do something uh, that's a bit different, have a look at some snakes and other reptiles, maybe frogs, lizards, uh, be there. Turtles. The, uh, turtles, yeah. exactly. Cute little turtles. Turtles are great, are yeah. Cute. Did we yeah. still have the penny turtles, whatever they were called, uh, years ago? Remember the little pet ones? Yeah. Pennies, yeah. You know, they um, banned the sale of those because kids, uh, this was in the US, and kids used to put them in their mouth, and all reptiles shed salmonella, and kids were getting salmonella. Oh. So now they can't sell them until they're actually big enough not to fit in their mouth. Mm. There you go. That's an interesting fact, yeah. isn't it? Um, okay, there's also at the at the Hillsborough Dog Showgrounds, Lakes District Canine Club is holding a championship show on the weekend, this right. Saturday and Sunday. So that's happening there. And for next weekend, and I will repeat them next Wednesday, but something to plan ahead, the Newcastle show yes. is starting Friday, Saturday, mm. Sunday. So lots of animal and pet events happening at the Newcastle show. And also on Saturday, March the 19th, uh, is the fifth annual Hunter Animal Rescue Pets Picnic, which is held at Spears Point Park from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. So put that in your calendar. That'll be fun, and we'll recap those again yes. next week, those mm. ones that are forthcoming. Now, uh, we've got a phone call right now from Budgie Woy Pat's with us. Pat, please say hello to David Tabard, our vet. Hello. Hi, hi, Pat. How are you going? I'm well. I've got a problem with a Maltese carrier. Right. What's going on? Uh, she's only 15. Uh, she's always had pink, irritated skin. Mm-hmm. But uh, about a month ago, I took her to have her yearly vaccinations. Yep. And her skin just became bright pink, like glowing, and she was scratching until she developed a sore. I took her back to the vet, and she had an injection of cortisone, antibiotic tablets, 
and some cortisone tablets to take, which she yep. did. Um, but again, she's back to the stage where it's not quite as pink, but she's just scratching until she pulls the hair out. Oh, and um, so I'm taking her back to the vet tomorrow. But I heard you talking, I was just driving and heard you talking about um, some stress-related problems. My husband's actually in hospital, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I wondered, like, to me, she's not exhibiting signs of stress. She's eating, um, she's still, you know, behaving normally, but yep. I wondered if it could have anything to do with it, because, like, she's got Frontline Plus on, I've used Capstar, mm-hmm. I've bathed her, um, so we can't trace it back to fleas or anything. Yep. Um, but the itch, her skin is all pink and swollen, she's losing hair. Now, so has she, um, sorry to interrupt, has she had, has she had flare-ups previously? Yes, but normally one injection is enough to settle her. Right, of cortisone and then she's yeah. okay. Mm. We've never had anything like this. No, no. Well, it certainly could be that the, the change in the household environment is a factor and it may, sometimes we do see where dogs may not exhibit any other sign or outward sign of a stress response. Um, but you would expect that, uh, particularly depending on the relationship um, that your husband has with the dog, if they spend a lot of time together, then this would be a factor. Would it cause skin problems? I think what happens is you've still got to have a trigger for this to start up. But a lot of these little white dogs, um, the Maltese Terriers and... and uh, Shih Tzus and these smaller dogs have um, a condition called atopy, which is an inherited allergic condition to a variety of things. And so their body becomes more sensitive. Now, stress, if we can term it that, may then increase the sensitivity to something that might otherwise just simply get better in a shorter time. Uh, the body's not going to recover as well this time round. Mm-hmm. So I think you still need the trigger, which, you know, you've said, well, maybe the the vaccination might have triggered an allergic response. Um, my theories on what we see with this dog is that there's often multiple causes. And, you know, you've done a lot to try and make sure that fleas aren't part of the picture and that's important. But there's also the things that you can't see, like the inhaled pollens and grasses and uh, things like that. So, yes, stress can play a role. Maybe the vaccine's triggered a reaction, but you've also got to think about these other causes. It is difficult to control them. Um, antihistamines are useful. In some cases, cortisone is you know, going to be the best treatment for those very severe itching. Mm-hmm. Um, regular bathing with an oatmeal uh, aloe vera blend shampoo, I think, is also useful, So, sort of like uh, in this phase, maybe every second day. And you can get a a shampoo, there's a shampoo, but you can also get conditioners of the same type. And if you put the conditioner on and leave it on to dry, they actually do a lot better. The skin is a lot uh, calmer and that pinkness seems to settle down. The redness and the itching seems to settle down a lot better. So it's sort of like you've got to try and hit it from both angles. You know, internally you've Mm -hmm. got the medication, but externally you've got to wash them frequently so that you take the the pollens and so on off the skin, but then you're also using something like an aloe vera oatmeal blend, and I think that's really going to give you the best response. Okay, then. All right. All right. Well, thanks for that. Give that a go. Let us know how you get on, eh?
You're welcome. Thank you for that, Pat, giving us a call for Pet Chat this afternoon here at 2NURFM, 103.7, 6 to 1. Now, your topic today, which we've had so many calls, we've been overwhelmed, oh. was going to be about birds. Well, yes, well, it is about birds. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about how to recognise pain in your dog and cat and uh, talking to some of my nurses at the hospital, and I said, well, what about in birds? A couple of quick points. Yep. Very much a species difference. So if you look at the larger parrots in Australia, your cockatoos and galahs and things like that, they tend to keep together in the wild in pairs or small flocks, you know, four or six birds. And what happens is there is that it's more uh, obvious that they, they demonstrate any time that they might be painful. So what we see, if you compare that to your smaller birds, like your budgerigars and cockatiels, they live in large flocks. And the safety comes in being in the large flock. So if mm. they're sick or they're painful, they'll get tossed out by the flock because mm. really there's another one to take your place. So, you know, go. And uh, the peregrine falcon's going to shoot down from a 1,000 feet above you and take you out. Sorry to be so graphic. That's what happens. But what happens is when we transfer them into the house, if you've got a budgie and it looks sick, I'm telling you it's been sick for days and days and days because they have a thing called the preservation reflex. So what they do is they make themselves look as good as they can for as long as they can. Uh, And then people bring them to the vet and this bird that was sick at home comes to the vet and looks pretty good. And people always say, oh, he looked worse at home. And I can say to you, yes, he was and he is. He's just doing that because he thinks I'm a predator and looking well, uh, he wants to look well. Whereas your larger parrots tend to show that a bit more obviously because they're just used to being in a one-on-one sort of thing. So it's a really interesting dynamic that they have. And uh, sick birds tend to be fluffed up, don't move, they'll sit on the bottom of the cage, but if you get them at that point, it's almost too late. So the first sign that your bird is sick, speak to your vet, Find out what you need to do mm. because uh, if you leave it to that stage, they've gone too far. Well, there you go. That's great. You've given us a good thing to look out for there, some uh, some signs on our sick birds, which helped uh, w- with what we were talking about last week. Well, we're almost out of time. Denny, anything else that we're looking forward to from next week's show? You've got a product that you're bringing in possibly? Or? At this stage, I'll keep it a secret, Dave. Okay, meaning, Tune in next meaning week. you've got nothing. Okay, in the early stages, thank you for that. And what about you, David? Well, we're going, I'll follow up for uh, Lynn for her mum's canary. She asked that question about the feather problem, so we'll follow that up and get some info back for next week. Well done, gentlemen. To both of you, have a lovely seven days. Thank we'll you. rejoin back here next Thanks, Wednesday Dave. afternoon from midday for Pet Chat.